it's another episode of The Little Big Things with Matt and Tom, where we talk about the big things that get little attention. And joining us once again is the revered Father Tim Medita to share his knowledge with us this morning. Father Tim, can you lead us with a prayer, please? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your many gifts to us, especially the gift of our body, with which we are able to manifest your love to others. We thank you for the gift of speech, which helps us to articulate our thoughts and our feelings so that others can know us and understand us. Help us to appreciate this gift and to use it wisely and to understand what Jesus is telling us about how our speech betrays what is inside our souls. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, help of Christians. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, Father, I heard the other day of a homily that you uh, preached in your Sunday Mass not Mm -hmm. long ago regarding a very popular TV show, Married at First Sight. Now, you actually watched an episode. I've watched several episodes because you get hooked in by the the commercials, the lead-ins. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting because reality TV has always been fascinating to me ever since we started with Big Brother years ago Mm. because I think we learn a lot about people and how people relate to one another, both in negative and positive ways. And I, years ago, I used episodes of Big Brother to talk to high school kids. We would watch a bit, like 15 minutes, and then I would say, what do you think of the way in which those people were relating or talking? What were they doing? Is that right? Is that moral? Is that what a Christian could do or should do? And they found it very interesting to not just watch a TV show, but to then discuss it and analyze it. I think that's the problem. We don't understand that TV originally was meant to be not just entertainment, but also education. And so if we have kids watching TV, we have a responsibility as adults to sit with them and say, what do you think of that? Do you agree with what they said? Do you think that's the right thing to do? Would you do that? Do you know anyone else who has done something like that or said something like that? And I think we priests have to face the fact that, like it or not, people are watching a lot of rubbish TV. And so we have to do what we can to salvage that and help people analyze it and reflect upon it. Yeah, so you've just charged right into this uh, this den of immorality to be able to bring oh, lo- people back. Love it, love it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always tell people I'll never be out of a job because people are always sinning. Yeah. <laughs> and so with um, Why Married at First Sight, why did that one stick out for you? Well, the readings last Sunday, which was the eighth Sunday in Ordinary Time, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday, were about speech. And in the first reading, it says... The test of a man is in his conversation. A man's words betray what he feels. And do not praise a man before he has spoken, since this is the test of men. And I said, you know, Married at First Sight, the whole title betrays what a lot of us do in life. We are first sexually attracted to someone before they ever open their mouth. We're in a bar, we're in a pub, we're in a crowded, you know, meal or someplace, and we lock eyes with somebody else and we're attracted to how they look. They look fantastic and we're attracted to that. And then we go over and we strike up a conversation. And once they open their mouth, we might form an entirely different instant opinion because we had an instant opinion based on looks. Now we have an instant opinion based on how the person speaks. And if they are, you know, they can't speak well, or they say stupid things, or they talk too much and don't let us get a word in edgewise, we start backing away from that person. So the whole premise of married at first sight is that you marry 
a person. It's not a legal marriage, as we all know, mm -hmm. but they treat it as though it's a marriage, and they're sleeping together and everything else. But the first time they see one another is at their so-called wedding, and you hear the comments. The, bride, the groom looks, turns around, he sees the bride coming down the aisle or across the garden and says, oh my gosh, she's stunning. And the girl's coming down the aisle on the arm of her father, and she says, oh, he looks so buff. He looks just like the kind of guy I want, you know. And then the whole thing blows up in their faces because the next six weeks or whatever are the two of them just fighting and screaming at one another or shunning one another. And I think what the scripture said is true. Do not be so quick to accept a person until they've opened their mouth because the test of a person's character is in what they say. Mm. So is it... Is it just loose entertainment that doesn't have much value, but there's no harm in watching it? Or I think there's a lot of harm in watching it if we don't watch it, you know, with some kind of um, perspective. Yeah. And we don't sit with people and talk about it. And it, several people said that to me. They said, Father, we really appreciate you bringing this up in church because our teenage kids, our young adult kids, are just hooked on this stuff. And they're watching this all the time. But we don't know how to talk to them. But when you say something from the pulpit... And you, you mentioned married for sight. Their ears all perk up. And they're all listening to what you have to say. And I even named one of the couples, you know, in Married at First Sight. And I said, this one girl who was married, Ersatz married, to this other guy, she didn't like him. But she was attracted to another guy who was married to another girl. So the subplot is how she's plotting to get him and commit Ersatz adultery with him, you know. And in the end, she turns out to be a really terrible person. I think the girl has a lot of problems. As I said in church, I said, if I were in charge, I'd put her on a boat with no food or water and just send her off in the ocean to the end of the world because she destroyed her husband's life, the other guy's life, his wife's life, and her own life. She came out with a very bad reputation in the media. Mm. And now she's having problems back home in Sydney trying to go out for a coffee because everybody looks at her and says, oh, you're that. So she's had Botox. She's had change her hair color. She's mm. changed her hairstyle so that no one will recognize her. But she just opened her mouth from the beginning, from the get-go. Yeah. You know? But a lot of it is scripted, though. Like, a lot of it's just paid, scripted content because a lot of people don't seem to realize that what they're watching, there is a camera crew there. There's a lighting crew. There's an audio mm, crew. There's a director. And what producer. came out in the, in the media this past week was that nine of these people in Married at First Sight have done some professional acting before. Yes. You know, commercials, TV shows, short bits on TV shows and all that. And people always suspected that. But nine is a lot of this whole, you know, cast. But I don't think all the conversation is scripted. I think, you know, the cameras are with them about 12 hours a day, each mm. couple. And they, they, of course, take a few minutes out of that and they get the juiciest parts and the most loud yelling and the crying and all that other stuff. They like to show that. But I don't think it's all scripted. Um, I think they're given basic plot outlines, perhaps, yeah. and they have to act up to that. Yes. Yeah, the, there would be a dot point format that they mm -hmm. need to follow. Other, mm -hmm. Otherwise, if it was going well, they wouldn't, it wouldn't be worth watching. Because... What I'm pleased about is they're advertising now, if you would like to be on the next season of Married at First Sight, contact us at Channel 9, da 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 And people have been writing in the newspaper saying, who in their right mind, after seeing the debacle of this season, would do it? And then somebody else said... This is their sixth season. They have about 10 couples each season, so that's 60 couples. Only one has stayed together. Yeah. And so how is that such a great experiment? 
and when such failing these three married marriage experts mm. they know nothing i'm screaming at the tv as i'm watching it saying no you idiot don't say that that's the wrong advice you know <laughs> yeah so i think people are really watching and listening though i have to tell you a funny thing though man came out of mass on sunday last week and he said oh father he said i got through this whole past week with the cardinal pell debacle with my faith intact and then I came to church and you talked about married at first sight <laughs> and my faith is shaken. <laughs> so he came to Mass for Ash Wednesday and he said, oh, thank goodness you didn't talk about married at first sight. I said, no, but I'm thinking next weekend I'll do bachelor and bachelorette. <laughs> and he said, oh, no. He was just joking. But um, everyone's talking about it because I think the church has to you know, be aware of modern culture for good or for ill. You know, and we have to address it to guide our people. And I told the people, I said, I know. I said, you're thinking, oh my goodness, Father Tim's watching Married at First Sight. He said, I don't say they're watching it. I said, but I pick up bits and pieces and they do have summary programs in mm -hmm. the afternoons that I can see. And I said, I think it's important for the priest to know what's going on out there because we're gonna be counseling you with the same problems that are on TV. People not listening, people judging before they get it, give them a chance, um, people accusing, um, people you know, being very unkind to others and calling all sorts of names and bullying. And I mean, just it's a microcosm of all the problems in society. Yeah. I wonder too whether it just it demeans the value of marriage when the word gets thrown around a lot with these TV shows. It's not actually marriage, but they, they call it marriage. So. And what I am disappointed in is the fact that you know, they're kind of pushing people toward having sexual intimacy very quickly. Yeah. And they like to see who did it the very first night, the wedding night, and um, then who... Um, hasn't done it yet. Um, this season they had a young man who's supposed to have been a virgin. They made a big deal out of that, put a lot of pressure on him. So he lost his virginity to this woman that I never thought was right for him in the first place. And then she turns out to have her own issues and they've split up. Mm. And you know, so here you have a guy who is trying to preserve his virginity for someone he loved and he gave it away to someone he didn't love yeah. on television. You know, it's a real pity. And I hope that people are picking up on that too. Yeah, because I think an issue with a lot of the, even the competition sort of shows that you can join into, once you've been on there, if you're not successful or you don't do well, it's very hard to then go and have a normal life. If, if you got quite a high profile and a lot of people knew you, like the woman in Sydney. Yeah. Like she, yeah, if she had to undergo physical changes to how she mm. looks so that people mm. don't recognize her and call mm -hmm. her out, that, that's quite a common thing. And, and the problem there is she still doesn't see what she did wrong. Yeah. She seems to have no self-awareness. It's everybody else's fault. And so I talked about this in church also, the same homily. I said, if you're always on the outs with someone, a member of the family, a friend, a colleague at work, whatever, if you're always having tension with someone, have you ever thought that it might be you, that it's not always the other person? Do people have any sense of self-awareness that they are not 100% innocent and everyone is 100% guilty? I said, these things, you know, you look at a program, you see that girl on Married at First Sight, she had no sense of self-awareness. And now people are analyzing the whole thing. Psychiatrists, psychologists have been on morning um, news talk shows, and they're saying, you know, the girls had problems in the past, her upbringing, um, her childhood or adolescence, and it's all coming out. And I often tell this to couples when they come to me with marriage problems. And I'll have the wife talk first, and she's very quick to 
blame the husband for everything. The husband sits there, you know, um, looking very sheepish or angry. Then I let the husband say something, and then they go at it, you know. And um, then I'll say to one of them, um, tell me about your relationship with your father, with your mother, with any siblings. Who was your favorite teacher in primary school and why? Who didn't you like in primary school and why? And what about high school? What were your friends like? What activities were you in? And was there anyone who bullied you or anyone you didn't agree with and you always avoided? And as they're talking, suddenly the light of revelation dawns in their eyes and they realize they're not fighting their wife or their husband. They're fighting their mother or their father or their older or younger brother or sister or a teacher in school or a bully at school. All of a sudden they realize we're carrying all that baggage from our past lives into our marriage. And it's just manifesting itself mm -hmm. in different situations that mm -hmm. are similar to what happened. Mm -hmm. And that's why in Married at First Sight, they don't make any attempt to deal with the past. Yeah, It's all the immediate present. And they're arguing about stuff that happened on the wedding day. Like this one girl, she saw the guy had a little nose um, ring. And as she walked up, the walked up to him, the first thing she said was, get rid of that ring. You know, right away she was on him. Yeah. She didn't say anything. Oh, you look very nice or pleased to meet you. Or nice, my name is so-and-so. Nice suit. It's right. Nothing. It was like, get rid of that ring, you know. And so as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, this is going to be a roller coaster of a marriage. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And what about um, extending past married at first sight then? Just reality TV in general and media sensationalism. How do you think that's negatively or positively impacting? Are, are we not talking about it enough? Are, are people too quick to believe everything that is pushed on them? Media well, I'm always telling the people this, don't believe everything in the media. I said, don't believe everything you see on TV or that you read in the papers. I said, you see on TV a man in blue tights and a red cape that flies. Yeah. That does not mean he's really flying. I said, but a lot of kids believe that, don't they? Yeah. And I said, we have to be grown up enough to analyze what we're watching because even so-called historical documentaries play loose with a lot of the facts. Movies like the out right now, Mary Queen of Scots and The Favorite about Queen Anne, they have historical foundations. But if you know the history and you watch the films, you say, this wasn't true, that didn't happen, she never said that, he never was there. And they'll admit that in the reviews. But the problem is a lot of people today don't read and they're learning their history about Mary Queen of Scots or Queen Anne of England. They're learning their history solely from these movies. Yeah. And they get a, a very, you know, lopsided view of what really happened. And that's the danger. But the TV and movies have become almost our sole source of education because we're losing the ability to read and to just digest and to go back to a book and reread a couple pages to make sure we've understood it or gotten it. And with movies, you don't do that. The movie just keeps going on. With TV programs, they keep going on. And no one challenges these things because you can't challenge a movie. Mm. You can't say that didn't happen. You know? I remember when they did that film some years ago about Ned Kelly. Oh, yeah. And um, they had Heath Ledger as yes. Ned Kelly. It was a great film. I loved it. But they got to the point of the shootout at Glen Rowan. And, of course, the train tracks had been destroyed a bit, so the train had to stop. There was a train coming from the eastern states coming back to Perth. And um, they have, in the movie, an Anglican vicar, an Anglican priest, gets out and goes into the, the pub or wherever they were, and um, the train station, I forget what it was, and gives the last rites. 
Um, well, first of all, the Anglicans don't have less rights. Yeah. They only have two sacraments, baptism and Eucharist. But I stood up in the theater, in the cinema, and I said, it wasn't an Anglican, it was a Catholic priest, Father Matthew Gibney. And for us in WA, that should resonate, and we should all know that, because Bishop Gibney, Matthew Gibney, he was Vicar General at the time, he was a hero because of that whole Ned Kelly situation. He had gone out to the eastern states asking for contributions toward the orphanage, the Catholic orphanage in Subiaco. And he got money. He was on the train coming back. They got stopped at Glen Rowan. And he came out and said, what's going on? Is there anything I can do? I'm a Catholic priest. They said, the police said, you can go in there and if you would, give the last rites, but let us know when you come out how many are dead, how many are wounded, what condition they're in and who is, who's alive in there, if Ned Kelly is alive. So he did that, he came out, and they got the story from him, and by the time Gibney arrived in Perth, they had erected arches of flowers on St. George's Terrace and had a grand welcome for a hero wow. who had been there, you know, yeah. and um, they were all so proud of him. But this is a piece of history that's been lost, especially in the knowledge of people in Perth. Yeah. That he was, the Bishop of Perth was involved in the Ned Kelly saga. And now we have on Vincent Street the house that he lived in. I used to live there myself. I renovated it. It's called Gibney House. Yep. But he was considered a hero by the people of Perth when he returned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, I like what you say because when, um, when Matt and I are watching movies, we'll often critique them and go, oh, no, nah, it's, it's a typical plot, too generic. We know what's going to happen, rah, rah, rah. But we don't often go that next step and discuss, um, like you said, when you were doing it with the kids with mm. um, big brother yeah yeah we don't go that step further i've taken parishioners to the cinema in groups to see certain films that might attract our interest sometimes they're religious sometimes they're secular but after we watch the film we'll get 15 20 people 25 people then we'll all go to the cafe and we'll sit and have a coffee or tea and talk about the film mm. and the people can ask questions or they can make comments and this is what it's supposed to be it's not supposed to be watch, 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 all day long, all night long, go to bed. You're supposed to watch and then discuss and learn. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be taken in little bits. You know, so I think we have to be careful of being addicted to watching television of any kind, and we have to be careful of um, not being uh, judicious in our watching and watch the right things. And I said, parents, especially you with kids, you know, I know you like to use the TV set as a babysitter, it's very convenient, but if you are in the kitchen and you're preparing something or you're at your desk and you're doing some work and you hear something on the TV that is questionable, don't run and switch the TV off immediately because that just makes it the forbidden fruit. You go into the room and watch the rest of the program with them, then turn it off and say, now what did you think about that? Do you like the way that guy treated that girl? Hmm. Or do you like the way those parents dealt with those kids? Um, should we do that with you? Or how do you like the way those kids were talking toward their parents? You need to use it as a springboard to start a conversation in your own family. And I've had so many parents say, Father, that has helped us so much. Yeah. Because it gives us something to talk about at the dinner table. It gives us something to talk about in the car. It gives us something to talk about at night before the kids go to bed. And we're finding that we're actually talking about things other than um, what time do you have to be in school and do you need a special you know, bit of money for this activity or whatever? We're talking about serious stuff. And kids measure up when you treat them more grown up. Yeah. You know, when you talk to them and ask their opinions and ask questions about was this right or wrong, did you like this or not, they get into it. Because otherwise we're just telling them 
go to bed, do your homework, eat your food, put your clothes away. And that's not, that's not a family life. Mm. That's just running a little regiment, yeah. you know, some kind. It makes a lot of sense because um, it does, as you say, it starts a conversation, but our natural inclination is to always turn it off or shield them, put them away, end the discussion. We don't really mm. follow it up. So Now, another thing in the gospel of that Sunday, Jesus says, can one blind man guide another? Surely both will fall into a pit. And I said, these, some of these reality programs, there's no one there who's really a leader. There's no one there who is a teacher. There's no one there who is a guide. They are all in the same situation. For some reason, these are all middle-aged adults. Well, they're in their 30s usually. Yeah. And they're all looking for love. The first question is, why haven't you found someone on your own? Why do you need to come on national television and do this? So that's the first question. Secondly, you see, none of these people are sterling characters. Maybe one or two is a nice person. But they all show their worst side. They're all blind people trying to lead other blind people. Mm. And this is why this experiment does not work. This is why after six years and 60 couples, only one has survived. And they probably would have survived if they met outside of this TV program. Mm. No, that's very interesting. I'll leave it there, Father. I think you've covered it really, really well. Would you mind just offering a prayer for those listening, uh, just to help with discernment of what we watch? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Once again, Lord, we thank you for the gift of our bodies, for our eyes with which we see and read and watch, for our mouths with which we can discuss and share ideas. Help us to realize that you do not want us to be mindless people like the pagans but you want us to be thoughtful, caring, sincere people with integrity of life. And that we can use even, you know, less desirable situations in life to learn from and to teach our children and one another how we can best follow you, Jesus, in the way of your cross unto the resurrection when you promise us all eternal life. We ask this of you in your name because you are our Lord and Savior forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll have to organize a little Big Things movie screening with you, Father. Could be fun. Could be fun. <laughs> if you like what you just heard and want to find out more, or get in contact with Matt and Tom, jump on Facebook and follow The Little Big Things, and there you can find links, contact info, and updates.